This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning everyone, so good to, to see you here this morning. It's great to, great to hear all those conversations and hear everyone talking. I can continue those in morning tea, which I'm looking forward to, and at Maroubra Breach, which is going to be super fun uh, later. My name's Mitch, if I haven't met you. I'm part of the Burwood Gospel Community. Um, yeah, there they are, all down the front. Go Burwood. Um, and it's great to see you here this morning. Let me just add my welcome to Matt's welcome to you. Um, we love having new people here, and it's um, super exciting to see you here, so I'd love to be able to meet you later. Um, as Matt said, we're going to be continuing our series uh, through uh, called Resolutions You Can Change, uh, which is you know, a series about how we view our, our New Year's resolutions in light of the gospel. And last week we heard James talk to us about resolutions and our spiritual disciplines, so how we view our Bible reading and time in the Word and prayer uh, in light of the gospel. Uh, and let me just quickly add my um, endorsement to the Abide booklets. I actually bought one last week, and I've been um, going through one of the plans in the back with one of my mates, and we've been um, reading the, the passage every day and texting one another about what we thought, and it's already been so fruitful for me. So let me encourage you to really go and do that, because those things uh, are amazing. But this week, we're going to be looking at uh, resolutions and self. Resolutions and self. And what we're going to be looking at specifically is how um, our New Year's resolutions are uh, particularly with regard to our, our physical health and what that looks like in light of the gospel. And if you remember um, last week, James showed us what the top five resolutions were for Australia for 2018. Uh, and he had them up on the screen. The top five resolutions for Australia were, one, improve fitness, two, eat better, three, quit smoking, four, quit drinking, and the fifth one was learn a new skill. I think it's so interesting to note that out of the top five resolutions that Australia had for 2018, four of them relate to our health. The top four all related to our health. So it was improve fitness, eat better, quit smoking, and quit drinking. So 80% of Australia's top five resolutions related to self-improvement when it came to our diet and exercise and our general physical health. And it's not really surprising, is it? Because I feel like if we, um, if we all reflect on our own resolutions for this year, I don't know if you made any, um, I made a couple, um, and if you're anything like me, they probably were surrounding, most of the time, what our improvements in health. And if, if you're anything like me as well, you'd realize that they'd probably failed by now as well, because we've hit the third week of January, and that's three weeks of failure. Um, <laughs> but it's not surprising, because we're in a culture that really does care about our health. But I do have a couple more statistics for us um, about our nation. So here's the first one. And that is, in the month of January in Australia the average gym will experience a 20 to 30% increase in new memberships. So that means there are 20 to 30% more people joining the gym in the average gym in Australia in January. And here's, here's the real statistic that I found interesting. Of those 20 to 30% new memberships, 80% will have been cancelled or used less than five times by May. So 80% of those new memberships will not even have been used or become redundant by the month of May. So if you're at the gym, don't bother making new friends until May because they're probably not going to stick around. And I actually experienced this this week. I, I went to the gym for the first time this year, last Monday. Um, and as I walked into the gym, the guy at the reception desk was really friendly. He said, hey, welcome. It's great to see you here. Just let me know if you need um, me to show you where anything is or you know, have a look around, so just get comfortable. And I was like, oh, that's really friendly. This guy's nice. Like, he's really welcoming. He's doing his job well. Um, the only problem for me was that I've actually been in this gym for a year already, uh, and I've seen this guy like every week, and, and he didn't even recognize me. Um, 
but I can't really blame him when I think about it because I, I walked into the gym and it was far more packed than it normally was. Uh, and as I looked around, I saw so many faces that I've never seen before. Uh, and people, I can only assume, had made resolutions about their health this year and are trying to make them happen. Um, in, that, in that study I mentioned before with those uh, statistics, there's a couple more interesting ones which I'll read to you now. Um, and the first one is that when, with our resolutions in Australia that relate to our physical health, 80% of them will have failed by the second week of February, and 92% of our health-related resolutions will fail altogether. So 92% of the resolutions we make about improving our physical health will fail indefinitely, and they won't, um, yeah, won't, be, won't be come to fruition. So what I think it seems like is that in our society at the moment, we have this problem, and that problem is that we, we desperately desire to be transformed uh, and to improve and get better in our physical health, but we have a really hard time of actually making it happen. And I'm sure that's probably something you've experienced as well. I know it's something that I've experienced. So what we're going to be talking about today is what self-improvement looks like in light of the gospel. And one, the question I really want to ask is, how should we think about our physical health in light of what Jesus has done for us? So how should we think about our physical health in light of what Jesus has done for us? So uh, what I want to do today is just look at three biblical principles that I think apply really clearly to our physical health. So three principles, but uh, before we do, I'm just going to pray for us, so please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are present with us this morning, and Lord, and we thank you that we get to see this physical representation of your body here uh, the church as we worship together. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to uh, experience what you're like through your body, Lord. And we thank you so much that you're present with us today. Lord, I ask that you would please give me the words to say. Please speak powerfully through me by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, please help me uh, to only say things that are helpful and to forget anything that's not going to be helpful for us this morning. And we pray that you'd be working in our hearts by your Spirit, challenging us and encouraging us um, by what you say in your word. Amen. So I'm going I'm to read from uh, the book of 1 Timothy, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 uh, and 8. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the first biblical principle that I want to talk about with regards to our physical health is that godliness is of more value. Godliness is of more value to us than our physical health. Uh, so Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he tells him to train himself in godliness. And that word, train, that we get there, that's actually the word that we derive our English word gymnasium from. So Paul is saying that he, Timothy is to train himself in godliness. And back in the first century, they had you know, gymnasiums, uh, gyms that were around where people would go to exercise. And they're actually very similar to the, the type of thing that we do today, gyms where we go to exercise. The main difference is that they would all do it naked. Um, which is a tradition I'm glad we haven't carried on to this day. Although actually, you know, sometimes when you, it feels like that when you go to the gym, doesn't it? Sometimes people have forgotten that. Um, but the word literally means train, work hard, exercise, sweat. And Paul is telling Timothy, train yourself in godliness. So what he's saying is sweat yourself to godliness, work hard in godliness. And what we have in this verse, um, in, in the, the very next um, couple of words, it says, bodily training is of some value. But godliness is of value in every way, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. And so um, we have this comparison here between physical training and spiritual training. 
And what Paul is telling us is that one of them is more valuable than the other, that spiritual training is more valuable than physical training. Um, But what I think is so important to notice about this comparison is that Paul is not devaluing our physical training. He's not devaluing our our physicality. He's not saying that it's unimportant. He says it is of some value, but godliness is of more value. The thing about the comparison is that both of these things are good. Now, one, of my, um, one of my best mates lives in London. He moved there probably uh, eight or nine months ago. Uh, and the other day, I think it was on Monday, he um, messaged me and he asked me if we could organize a Skype session to catch up and, and hang out and you know, talk about how life's going over there for him. Um, and he asked if we could do it on Tuesday night for me, uh, which was his Tuesday morning. And I was thinking about it, but I have to say no, because um, I've had a, I had a really busy week. I was away last week, and I was really busy this week. And I thought that Tuesday night was going to be the only time that I actually be able to get to spend with Sarah, who's my wife. So I said no to him uh, because it's more valuable to me to spend time with Sarah than it is to spend catching up with him. Now, that doesn't mean that my time with him and my conversation with him isn't valuable to me. It really is valuable. And we actually Skyped the next day. But what's, important, what's more important and more valuable to me is my time with Sarah. I had two good things, but one of them is of far more value to me than the other. Uh, In the same way, Paul's comparison here is not trying to devalue bodily training. He says it is valuable, but he wants to emphasize how much more valuable training in godliness is. Uh, Some people have used this verse to try and um, convince people that Paul is actually against our, our bodies and against our physicality, as if there's some sort of more spiritual, mystical reality that's more important to Paul, as if we were to disregard our bodies. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that as humans, we've been made with bodies and we've been made with souls, for want of a better word. We have a spiritual and a physical reality that we consist of as humans, and that neither one of those is more or less essential to who we are. We're made physical beings, and we're made spiritual beings, and they are equally human. So Paul's not devaluing our physicality and the need to take care of our bodies, but he's emphasizing that we need to train ourselves in godliness. And why does he say that? Because godliness has value both in this life and the life to come. So what does that mean? Well, What does it mean for godliness to have value in this life? What I think that means is that God has created us in such a way that we'll live our best lives and our most fulfilling lives, where we'll be most satisfied if we live in the way that he has designed for us to live. So when we live in a godly way in this life, it's going to be the most fulfilling way that we can live. So godliness has value for us now. What does it mean when he says that godliness will have value in the life to come? Well, what he's saying is that the the benefits of our pursuit of holiness and godliness will continue into the next life. The progress that we make now, becoming more like Jesus and being made more and more into his image, will progress into the next life as we were made perfectly holy. The progress we make now will make a difference. And so physical training is of less value than spiritual training. And I think the reason that is, is because our physical training and the way we train our bodies is actually limited in a couple of ways. And I think there are two main ways that it's limited. It's limited in its extent and its duration. Physical training is limited as an extent, in its, in its extent. Because you can train your body so hard, and you can train and train and get healthier and healthier and get as, as healthy as you could possibly be and still have a broken soul. You can be the healthiest person you know. You could get to the peak physical fitness that you could ever experience and you can still have a broken soul. Because no amount of exercise is going to fix our brokenness. Only Jesus is going to do that. 
There's no amount of exercise or working harder that's going to fix our broken relationships and our pain and the hardship that we go through as a result of sin in the world. Only Jesus can fix us. And secondly, our physical training is limited in its duration. Because we can train really hard and get really fit, and no matter how healthy and fit you get, eventually your body is going to start to deteriorate. Eventually, as you get older, you're going to experience illness, you're going to get sick, you might have injuries, and the more and more, um, the older and older we get, the less likely we are to have healthy bodies that can still be maintained. I've got a, a couple of guys at this gym that I've been going to for a year, and um, there's these two guys in particular, and they're probably in their 60s or 70s, um, and they've been there for, I think, since the gym started, like 25 years ago. Um, and they go there at the same time every morning. They're always at 8 a.m. working out together. And the thing about these guys is they are so fit. When you, see like a, you know how you see like a 60 or 70-year-old man who's like way fitter than you, you start to feel so ashamed? Well, that happens to me often when I go there and see these guys, and they are so fit, and they put so many of the younger guys to shame. But the thing is, they're probably not exercising the way that they did when they were in their 20s and 30s. They're probably not even exercising the way that they did when they were in their 40s and 50s. Because no matter how fit we are, eventually we're going to get to a point where we can't do what we did originally. We're going to have to um, you know, exercise in different ways because our bodies deteriorate. They're going to fail us at some point. Our, our physical training is limited in its duration. So what Paul is saying here is focus on godliness. You won't take your body into the life to come, but you will take the effects of your godliness now. I think there's a real challenge in there for us, especially for those of us who made New Year's resolutions. There's a challenge because Paul is saying godliness is far more important than physical training. But I know when I think back to the resolutions I made this year, there were not any in there about pursuing godliness and improving my holiness. I made all my resolutions about my physical health. I think that's a challenge for us. When you made your resolutions, if you made them, what were your priorities? Did you have any resolutions that related to growing in holiness? That's where we're called to place our priority. We're called to devote ourselves to training in godliness. We're called to do whatever it takes to become more godly whatever it takes to throw off the sin that's hindering us and pursue being made more like Jesus and growing into his image. And as we do that, we need to remember that our, our God is not just in the business, as James said last week, of behavior modification, but our God cares about soul transformation. It's not just about behavior modification. It's about soul transformation, which means we're dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in us to pursue godliness. And we can't do it ourselves by trying harder and harder. We're dependent on the Spirit to transform us. And what I really want us to see is that part of us pursuing godliness and part of our holiness is actually pursuing our physical health. Our physical health is one aspect of pursuing God in holiness. So the the second principle I want to talk about is uh, the principle of stewardship. So the first one was pursuing godliness. The second one is stewardship. So I'm going to read from uh, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 10, which should also be on the screen. So 1 Peter 4.10 says... As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, in the, in the book of Peter, um, this verse is coming up in the context of Peter talking about what it looks like to live lives as a response to what Jesus has done. He's saying, Jesus died and he rose for you. And so, as a response to that, live holy lives as good stewards of the gifts that God has given us, of the generosity we've experienced in Jesus. So part of that response is stewardship. And Paul, sorry, Peter here is specifically talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I think this principle clearly applies to every single gift that we've been given by God. 
But what is stewardship? Well, when we normally talk about stewardship, we're talking about uh, someone who's been hired to manage the assets of uh, somebody else. And this is a person who has you know, a bit of authority for a time over somebody else's possessions, but in the end, they never actually own those possessions, and the whole purpose of their stewarding is for the benefit of the owner. The steward is just a caretaker. They don't own it. And this concept, concept comes up pretty regularly for us. Um, if you're someone who's renting where you live at the moment, then you're stewarding the apartment or the house that you live in, um, and it actually still belongs to the owner. But whenever you borrow something of someone else, you're stewarding what you've borrowed. But at no point do you actually own what you've borrowed. It still belongs to the owner. And so God's calling us here to change our perspective from one of ownership to one of stewardship. Change our perspective from one of ownership to one of stewardship. And the thing is, God's called us to be stewards of absolutely everything that he's given us. It means we're called to change our perspective on how we view everything he's given us. That means all of our possessions. That means all of our money. It means stewarding our time and our talents. And specifically right now, it means stewarding our bodies, which we recognize are a gift we've been given by God. We're called to steward the gift of our bodies for His glory. View them as if He owns them, because He does. Let me read um, what, what Paul says in the book of Corinthians. And it's verses six, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. He says... Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I understand that in this context of Corinthians, Paul is specifically talking about sexual sin and our sexuality. So please don't hear me trying to abuse this text or just uh, proof text it for my purposes, because I think there is a real genuine implication in these verses for us that applies more broadly uh, than just our sexuality. And that is about how we use our bodies in light of the gospel. Paul is saying that we are not our own, that we were bought at a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died so that he could redeem us and so that he could win us. And Jesus didn't just die so that he could redeem part of us. He wanted to redeem absolutely everything that was, was a part of us. And that includes our bodies. Jesus died to redeem everything that we have. And we are creating a false dichotomy when we split and try and you know, separate our physicality from our spirituality. When we try and pretend that our bodies aren't as holy and they're just the sinful parts of us, but our inner self, our spirituality is actually more important. That's a false dichotomy. We've been created whole beings and Jesus died to redeem all of us, everything, including our bodies, which means that we're called to live lives as a response to what Jesus, done, Jesus has done by stewarding our bodies well, changing our perspective of ownership to one of stewardship. So what does it actually look like to steward our bodies? Well, I think stewardship when it comes to our bodies means taking care of them. It means looking after them. It means fighting against the sins of laziness and gluttony and self-indulgence and a lack of self-control. It means fighting against these sins and pursuing holiness and discipline and working harder for the glory of God in the power of the Spirit. I think we need to recognize that stewarding our bodies is this area of holiness and that we understand that these sins that I just mentioned, gluttony, self-indulgence, self-control, are genuine sins that we have been called to put to death in the Spirit. We've been called to put these sins to death because of what Jesus has done. And we understand that, that concept of stewardship um, a lot. I think this is something we actually think about quite a lot. I have 
a lot of books at home, and I really love collecting books and reading books. Um, and we've got this big bookshelf in our main room, which has like you know all the books that I've got, and I'm pretty probably unhealthily proud of them to be honest. Um, and I remember actually one day Anato came over, and he's got a lot more books than I do, and he was looking at my bookshelf, and he said, "Your bookshelf looks like what would happen if my bookshelf went to the toilet." And I was like, <laughs> so he just absolutely destroyed my my sense of pride about all of my books, but. Um, we have them in the main room because I really like them and I like looking at them. And when people come over, they often come over and look I mean, at the books and often people will, will see them and they'll ask if they can borrow one. I'm like, yeah, sure, great. And I will talk about it and then it gives me heaps of joy because I love talking about books. Um, but they often will borrow them and give them back. And, and 90% of the time, or probably higher, 95% of the time, they give them back in the same condition that I lent them to them. But every now and then you give someone a book and then they'll give it back and it's not even recognizable. I had um, one of my friends in particular had one of the books. He came over and saw it and he wanted to borrow it. And I said, yeah, sure, you can borrow it. And he's like, great, I'm going camping. I'm going to read it for a couple of weeks and they'll give it back. And I was like, sure. So he took it away. And then uh, when he was camping, he had an accident. And then he brought it back to me. And he dropped it in a bucket of water. And it was all water damaged and the cover was gone. And, but he didn't say anything. He just gave it to me. He's like, thanks for, thanks for the book. And then like walked away. And I was just... Like, what are you doing? I wanted, to, I wanted to, like, sit him down like he was my child and, like, do you know what you just did? This, this is someone else's possession and you've just ruined it. Uh, and I, got, I, was, I was pretty angry. And then I kind of realized I need to stop idolizing my possessions. But um, that's, that's an example of, of what poor stewardship is, right? When you've taken something that someone has given you and then you neglect it and you don't care about it and it gets damaged and you forget that actually you didn't own this thing, that it's actually the person who gave it to you's possession, and this is, that's, that's what we're doing when we neglect our physical health. We're forgetting that our bodies have actually been given to us by God and that he's given them to us, you know, for our benefit, sure, but ultimately for his glory. And when we are self-indulgent and we're gluttonous and we lack self-control and we do all these other things to our bodies that aren't healthy for them, even, um, you know, abusing them with alcohol and, you know, drugs and lots of other things, we're realizing that what we're, what we're doing there is, is not stewarding our bodies. We're not recognizing that we've been given a gift of God for His glory. And what I just want to say briefly as well is uh, I understand that there are people that have genuine issues that you know, have problems stewarding their body. I'm sure there are people in this room that have chronic illnesses um, that you know, stewarding your body is really hard. There are people with hormonal issues, which means it's almost impossible to gain or lose weight. And I just want to say that those are real and genuine issues. Um, but we have all been called to steward our bodies um, and do the best with what we have, to so steward them in whatever way we can, and that's going to look very different for, for different people. It's just another encouragement that we can't judge people by outward appearances as well, because we don't know what's going on with them, uh, and we're all called to steward our bodies for His glory. So that's the, the second principle I wanted to talk about. The first one is that godliness is of more value. The second is that stewardship is important. And the third principle that I think helps us frame how we think about our physical health is the, the nature of idolatry. The other day I was on Facebook and I saw, um, I saw an ad for Tiff Hall's Body Confident Program. Um, and I, was, I clicked on it and I went to the website because I wanted to read about it. And for those of you who don't know, Tiff Hall is like this, she's a person, one of the, what's that show? Um, Biggest Loser. Yeah, she's one of the personal trainers from The Biggest Loser, and so she has this program for anyone that can go on it. So I went on the website, and I wanted to read about it and see what it said. And it started off by saying, you can't have a healthy body if you aren't mentally and emotionally well too. And I read that, and I was like, oh, 
surprisingly holistic, like not what I was expecting from, from her, but I continued to read and then all my suspicions were confirmed when it said, give me a month and I'll give you a new you. Good health will deliver it all. Good health will deliver it all. Uh, I bet right now if you went on Facebook or Instagram right now, you would probably find something that is promising fulfillment and satisfaction and transformation uh, through you know, exercise and a new diet plan and physical health. Because our culture right now is saturated with promises of self-improvement and it's saturated with promises of satisfaction and fulfillment when we get the bodies that we wanted to have, when we get the perfect body and when we're eating healthily and have the right diet. I reckon... Um, Probably almost every single girl I know follows like Kayla Sinez on Instagram. Um, and she's got like, it's fair enough. She has like, she's got like eight and a half million Instagram followers. She's another famous personal trainer. And I'm not trying to devalue what she does. I think it is actually really good. But the problem is, is that all these things that we get told promise fulfillment and satisfaction and self-worth because of our physical health. We get told to place our identities in our bodies and in our health and in how people perceive us. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had that time where we've seen someone else and we felt a little bit jealous of how they look. Or they just feel like they're a little bit more attractive than us or they, you know, maybe you're at the gym and you see that, that girl or that guy and they just have the perfect body that you've been trying to work towards, um, but you're not there, so you just start to feel a little bit uncomfortable and anxious and sad. Um, or maybe, you know, you look at that, that other mum who had a baby like two weeks ago and now she looks like she never had a child and you just start feeling a little bit, you know, like, like you're worth less than she is. And we've all had that, that similar experience when someone compliments us on how we walk and we start to feel a little bit of pride and we start to feel like we're doing pretty well because someone's noticed that we've been you know, working hard and training and losing weight. But when that happens, we get tempted to identify ourselves by our bodies and how, how we look. We get tempted to place our identity in other people's perception of us. But the problem with doing that is that these things are so subject to change. You might get sick one week and then it's ruined all the progress you've done. You might get an illness that you just can't be rid of and it's going to change how you look physically. You know, you, know, you might have just a really bad week where you, you eat whatever you want and you didn't go to the gym and then people stop trying to stop recognizing you for the improvements you made and they stop looking at you as if you've done something well and then those feelings of pride and security start turning into feelings of insecurity and anxiety and a lack of self-worth and your self-esteem goes down because you've identified yourself based on other people's perception. Here's the thing, if we place our identity in our physical health, then our identity is going to fluctuate with how well we're doing with diet and exercise. If our, if our identity is in our physical health, it's going to fluctuate with every day that you make a different decision about your body. And here's something I think we need to ask ourselves. It's that if our feelings of self-worth and self-esteem are fluctuating based on our physical health, I think that's a really clear sign that we're making our body image an idol. If our feelings of self-worth and self-esteem are fluctuating based on our health, it's a sign that we've placed our identity in our body image and in other people's perspective, and we need to realign our hearts and our perspectives. Let me read again from the book of 1 Peter, and this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-4. It says, Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
Now, this verse is not just for women. This is, some people have suggested this is you know, only for women, but it's, it's definitely relevant for all of us because our issues with body image is something that all of us struggle with. This is not just a, an issue that, that women struggle with. Men struggle with body image. I mean, I, I, I've definitely struggled with body image in the past. I think it's probably an ongoing struggle for me as well. When I um, joined the gym for the first time, I joined when I was 18. I just left school. Me and my best mate wanted to go. And, and when we went to the, the gym, there was a section on the application that said, you know, reason for joining. And let me tell you what I didn't write. I didn't write, to steward my body well for the glory of God. <laughs> That's not what I wrote. That's what I should have written. That's not what I wrote. I think my 18-year-old self wrote something else because he thought it'd be funny. My 18-year-old self wrote, to impress the chicks. And I, I legitimately wrote that. And then me and my friend like laughed, and we laughed with the guy as if it was a joke. But it, it, it wasn't a joke. That's what I genuinely wrote, and that's why I was there. I cared so much about how other people perceived me that I actually wanted to change who I was, to change their perception, to give me a little bit more self-worth. I cared more about what these people thought than what God thinks, and that is the definition of idolatry. That's the definition of idolatry. This verse in Peter is telling us to realign our focus so we don't make our body image an idol, but instead pursue godliness. Because when we look at the Bible, we see that placing our identity in anything other than Jesus is idolatry. We don't identify ourselves based on what other people think of us. We don't identify ourselves based on how we even think of ourselves. We identify ourselves based on what Jesus has done for us. And you know what God says? God says because of what Jesus has done for you that you are valuable. Because of what Jesus has done, you are loved and you have self-worth and you have dignity. And it's all because Jesus chose to die for you. That's how we're called to identify ourselves. We're not called to identify ourselves by our looks or by our bodies or by other people's perception. We're not called to identify ourselves by our gifts and talents. We're not called to identify ourselves by our sexuality. We're called to identify ourselves by the fact that Jesus chose to die and rise for you. That's who we are now. We are God's children because of Jesus. That's where our identity lies, not in anything of this world. And if you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, let me tell you that this is for you. Jesus died for you so that you could have dignity and you could have self-worth. And if you are sick of your feelings of you know, self-esteem fluctuating every day, let me tell you that Jesus died so that wouldn't have to happen. He died so that he could know you, and that's where your identity now lies. And so we're called to live holy lives as a response to what Jesus has done. And part of that holiness is stewarding our bodies well, but it's as a response, not as a primary motivation. Let's look at what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, For we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is telling us there to set our minds on things that are unseen, on the things that are imperishable, the things of heaven, and let that perspective change how we live now. Focusing on the things that are unseen, we've got to let that change how we view the things that are transient and the things that are seen. So one aspect of that is letting the perspective that we are going to be given perfect new heavenly bodies with no blemish and no pain, let that change your perspective now and steward the body you've been given now. 
So I just want to, you know, we're going to finish soon, but before we do, I really just want to talk about some really practical steps um, of what it looks like for us to take steps forward uh, when it comes to our personal growth in this area. The three biblical principles I talked about were godliness is more important, stewardship, and the nature of idolatry. But now I just really want to talk about really practically what does it look like for us, look like for us as a faith community to improve in this area. And I think when it comes to our resolutions and goals in this area, there's one really, really important tension that we need to manage. And that tension that we need to manage is understanding that we have to be wholeheartedly devoted to putting these sins to death, sins of gluttony and self, lack of self-control and um, you know, overindulgence. We need to manage the tension that we have to wholeheartedly maintain devotion of putting these things to death while understanding that self-improvement happens in small steps. Wholeheartedly devoted to putting these sins to death while understanding that self-improvement happens in small steps. If you're anything like me, you've probably tried like 100 diets um, in your life, trying to change which one works for you and you know, sort them all out. And if you're anything like me, then you've had those times where you've been eating really unhealthily and really badly and you haven't been going to the gym or doing any exercise and it kind of just culminates and culminates and then you just get to a point, it's like breaking point where you're just like, no, I'm done, I'm being healthy, diet starts today, I'm going to eat only chicken, broccoli and rice and then I'm just going to be the healthiest person in the world. And then you, you might do that. Like I reckon the longest I've ever done that for is probably two days. Um, <laughs> And then when it hits two days and you start to give in to that temptation again, and for me it's like the ice cream or the donuts, and you see them there, uh, and then the temptation just is a bit too overwhelming for you, so you give in, and then you're back to what you were doing in the first place. And the diet's been helpful for two days, um, but that's all. I've done that so many times, but the problem is for the majority of people, that's not how self-improvement works. For the majority of people, that's not how self-improvement works. The, you know, when, you, when you're doing a diet, as an example, you know, it's just proven that it's going to be far more successful if you just start by cutting down your portion size. You just cut down your portion size. You don't change what you're eating, just cut down the portions. And then you know, the next week, you cut out all the soft drink and the chocolate you're eating. And then the next week, you cut out all the you know, alcohol or whatever else, and so on and so on, until you take these small steps over time and you progress till you get to the point that you'd originally planned to be at, but you've done it in a much more healthy and sustainable way. And I think that's a helpful principle for us when it comes to all this sort of self-improvement stuff, that we take small steps while maintaining this devotion to putting the sin in our life to death. I think there are two other really, really simple things that can help us when it comes to our physical health and self-improvement. And they're just awareness and accountability. Awareness and accountability. So first, awareness. It's so important for us to just simply be aware of you know, how to improve ourselves physically, aware of what the sort of standards are. So according to the Australian Department of Health, the average adult should be engaging in two and a half hours of moderate exercise every week. Two and a half hours of moderate exercise every week. So that's half an hour, five days a week. And you know, that doesn't have to start by doing that every day. That might start by half an hour, one day a week, and half an hour, two days a week. And progressively, we get to where we're supposed to be. According to the Department of Health, the recommended daily calorie intake for a woman is 2,000 calories, and for a man is 2,500 calories. Just helpful guidelines to show us where we're supposed to be with this sort of, what a healthy range is. And there are so many apps that are available, like my diet diary and my fitness pal and all these things that can track your calorie intake and make it easy just for you to keep an eye on what you're doing. Simple awareness can take huge steps in our self-improvement, just knowing where we're planning to be. 
And there are so many other tools out there and so many other helpful things like diet plans, exercise plans, so many things that can help us. But it just takes one little bit of awareness to, to, know, to know about them. And the second thing is accountability. Another helpful step in stewarding our bodies is to keep one another accountable. As I said a couple of times before, we believe that as humans we've been created as physical beings and that our physicality is not any less human than our spirituality. And that means that when it comes to living in community and doing these things, we care for the whole person. And we're accountable with one another for the whole person. Which means that it's a healthy thing for us to do as a community to keep one another accountable when it comes to our physical health. It means we can keep one another accountable and ask questions like, how have you been going with exercise? How has your diet been? How are you going with self-image? More importantly, what's your motivation behind this? Are you working hard or are you falling into sin and failing to put these things to death? Accountability can take huge steps forward in self-improvement, especially when it comes to our physical health. And we need to be praying for one another. As a community, this is an area of holiness. We need to pray for one another just like we would for any other area of sin in our life. For some reason, I feel like we feel like it's just, it just doesn't seem holy enough to pray about our physical health. And I think prayer is such a helpful thing because when we're praying, I feel like, I know for me, it's so much easier uh, to be honest with God and pray and it reveals kind of the idolatry in my heart. Because if I start praying, God, I pray that you'd help me with my exercise and with my diet, then I start to realize in my own heart, oh, actually, I'm praying this for the wrong reasons. Spending time in prayer identifies our motivations behind these things. And when we spend time together praying for self-improvement, we can't help but see the Holy Spirit work in us. And as we do this, as we finish up, I just want to remind us that, as James said last week and as I said before, God does not just care about behavior modification. He cares about the transformation of our souls. He cares about us being made more into the image of Jesus. And if at any point our self-improvement contradicts our pursuit of godliness, then we stop. But we need to recognize that because of what Jesus has done, he deserves everything he deserves all of our lives, and that includes our bodies. Jesus died to win you to himself. He died to win you, uh, including your body. So we need to learn to respond in a holy way and understand that we have been rescued from something far worse and given something so beautiful that we can steward for his glory. We're gonna, I'm going to pray in a minute. Um, and then we're, we're going to respond in three ways. There's going to be the, the prayer team, which will be up the back and on the sides, and they'll be wearing an orange lanyard. And if you want to pray with anyone about anything you heard today or just about anything in general, they would love to pray for you. And this could be the first step for you in moving forward uh, in your journey of accountability and, and moving forward in this area. We're also going to uh, take the Lord's Supper, and there'll be stations at the, at the front and the sides where you can dip the bread in the grape juice and remember what Jesus has done. And we're also going to respond with worship. So as the band come up, I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much that you died to, to, and then was raised to life for us, Lord, and you did it to win us and you did it to win all of us. And Father, we just thank you so much that you've given us the gift of bodies that, that work and that can be used for your glory. And we just thank you so much for how amazing that is. And Father, we ask that you would please transform our hearts to desire more of you. Lord, we pray that you would transform our hearts so we desire to live godly lives as a response to what you've done. Lord, we help 
We pray that you would help us to steward our bodies well with diet and exercise and all these other things. Lord, help us to keep one another accountable. And above all, we just pray that you would impress in our hearts how amazing the grace that you've shown us is in Jesus. Thank you that he died and he rose and that we're redeemed by his blood. Amen.